Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us here on The Conversation, Hawaii Talks. It's Friday, December 1st. We have a Hanaho show for you today, focusing on the status of little fire ants across our state as lawmakers push for a rapid response to the spread of the invasive pest throughout the islands. We'll have updates on the Big Island, Kauai, and Oahu, where the ants were first found in our state. We also return to Maui, where an out-of-the-box solution appears to be working to bring ant numbers down in a remote area. And we'll replay our interview from Molokai, how the community there is working to keep the invasive species out of the Friendly Isle so far. tuned to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we're rebroadcasting stories aired this past October highlighting Spot the Ant Month. And it is official. The Maui Invasive Species Committee says a survey of 173 acres in Nuhiku has not found any little fire ants. The area was previously infested and for the last several years teams of workers have tested out an aerial treatment that appears to have worked to sterilize the queens and knock out the colonies. Brooke Mankin is with the Maui Invasive Species Committee. Monty Tudor-Long worked to identify more than a 1,000 ants collected out in the field. They talked to us about the success of their approach to eradicate the invasive ants. Originally from South America, these ants nest in trees and build super colonies and can blind animals. We start with Mankin. We've completed our most comprehensive survey of the Nahiku site to date. We broke previous year's records of area sampled, and we found no little fire ants. I mean, that really is impressive. Yes, we are also blown away. It's quite an achievement for us, and we didn't know when we started this project how it would go, and this is just a delightful ending to our aerial treatments. And is this the largest infestation that has been found to date across the state? Well, the Big Island has multiple separate infestations that are much, much larger than anything found outside of the Big Island. But as far as infestations on any island other than the Big Island, yes, I believe it is the largest area controlled, infested, and tackled outside of the Big Island. And then, Monty, jump in here. I mean, you have been analyzing all the ant species that you've collected during the survey. What was the other surprising takeaway for you? Well, I really have the fun job here. We had over a thousand samples collected of ants, and I got to go through and identify all of them and how many ants were in each sample. We collected 23 species of ants in Nahiku, which is an outstanding diversity to see in a site that formerly was occupied almost entirely by just little fire ants. Although the ants aren't native, none of the ants are native, the thing is other ants move back into the infested area, an excellent sign that the work has been successful. Well, that's interesting. So they were kind of intimidated by these more aggressive species? Yes, the little fire ant is extremely I guess you'd say territorial. It excludes pretty much all other ants when it moves in. And so it's disruptive in a lot of ways. And if it's excluding all these other ants, it's surely excluding a lot of our native insects. And it's one of the main reasons it's considered a threat to native ecosystems is its ability to exclude um, not just other insects, but also small critters like geckos and you know other arthropods and vertebrates. I would imagine they would probably impact our native snails. Yes, they would. Fortunately, at this time, we don't have little fire ants in the native forest where the native snails are, you know, fighting their own battle to survive. But keeping the little fire ants from moving into the native forest is a really high priority. And the native snails is one of many reasons. And so what can you share with us about the other types of species that you've found to be rebounding in Nahiku? We see a lot of the more common species in high numbers, which is, you know, what we'd expect. It's 
But since we're going through the trouble to identify every single ant, we get a lot of fun surprises of ants that we hardly ever get to see. These tiny trap jaw ants, for example, we found, I think, three of them, just three ants out of all the tens of thousands of ants. There are these tiny ants with really long mandibles that snap shut when they stumble upon their prey. And has that been around on the islands for a while, do you know? They have been, but they occur in very low numbers, and they, they're what we call obligate predators, where they generally don't come to baits, and so we don't often get to see them, except when they just stumble upon one of our traps. Um, so it's, and they're these beautiful little ants with heart-shaped heads. Um, a lot of fun to look at under the microscope. Okay, so it was really kind of a treat for you to see the various species kind of pop up again. Absolutely. I, I love doing this. It's <laughs> like, imagine, imagine the joy that bird watchers get out in the field looking at birds. That's, that's the joy I feel looking through my microscope each time an ant comes, comes by me. Okay, well, I don't share that. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Brooke, I mean, I don't know. I mean, when, when you were out there, I guess, way back when, when you first started this and you saw, I guess, the numbers of fire ants, I mean, the impact to the rest of the ecosystem? When you come across a little fire ant infestation and the first thing you do is you have to map it in totality and then we call that delimitation. What you find in the center of the infestation is only little fire ants. You get very few samples that contain other ant species. And as you get to the edge of the infestation, where there are not little fire ants, you begin to see other ant species. And then you get outside of the infestation, and then it's all these other ant species. And although I knew that several years ago when we did our first survey of the Nihiku infestation, after having completed many aerial treatments, we went in and we weren't finding any ants at all. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what are we doing wrong? We're not spraying right. But then we realized that's what we would expect to see after having treated the whole area. Any ants that are attracted to peanut butter, which is what we use to survey for little fire ants, would have also been attracted to the bait that we were using. And so these other ant species had also disappeared in the treatment zone. And so then the following year, we saw more ants starting to come back along the edges and repopulate the area, not little fire ants, because we had completely treated the zone that they were in. And then this year, even more now, 20% difference from last year in the number of ants that we are collecting in the infested area. So it's sort of, we're now seeing that rebound and it's quite remarkable. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about, you know, the efforts that are underway elsewhere on Maui? Absolutely. Across Maui, there have been 19 locations that we have found little fire ants since 2009. And those are the only areas on Maui little fire ants are known to be. And since then, we have been working on all those sites. Hawaii Ant Lab was a huge help. Now we have taken the mantle and we continue to work on those sites. And we have eradicated seven of those sites. That means that it was over five years that we went back to survey those locations and did not find little fire ants. And so after the five-year period has passed, we call that eradicated and we celebrate and we're done with those sites. Four of those sites are in a monitoring phase, and that means that we're not finding little fire ants, and we just haven't hit that five-year mark yet, but they are well on their way to being declared eradicated. And so that leaves on Maui in total, currently there are eight sites that are being actively treated. Of those eight sites, the treatment zone, it totals 60 acres originally. However, we've been treating them for a while, so what we do is we refine our treatment zone as the area shrinks, we go in and we survey to see how we're doing. We're currently treating only just over 17 acres. So they are, of the eight active sites on Maui, we have reduced their area over 70%. We're really working only on a very small area, um, you know, less than 20 acres on Maui are being treated for little fire ants. So we're really looking good for our goal of total eradication. And then is there anything else that you want to add, Monty, just about, 
you know, the ants that you've been studying in the lab that have come from across uh, Maui? I, I suppose I'd love to add that we get ants samples sent to us from residents around the island, and it helps us determine the geographic extent of each species, and we really, really love getting these samples from the public. Hearing reports and concerns from the public is how we found most of these infestations. You know, we do our best to go out and survey as much as we can with our crews, but we can't cover the whole island. And so we love it when people get involved and send us their ants. And at stoptheant.org, there's instructions on how to collect ants in your yard and mail them into us. And then I can get back to you and tell you all about the ants, what species you have in your yard. There's other ants out there in the world that, you know, they're going to show up on our porch one day and we need to find them as soon as possible. That was researcher Monty Tudor-Long, who the team affectionately calls Uncle Ant, and Brooke Mankin of the Maui Invasive Species Committee. Tudor-Long shared with us that last year he discovered a species on Maui's North Shore that's called the Dracula ant. It has not been previously seen in the world in the last 20 years, so it's a mystery as to how it got here. Next, we take you to the Big Island, where we get the snapshot of where the invasive species has been found and is spreading. For any brewers with the Invasive Species Council that covers Hawaii County. Little fire ants are widespread on the Big Island. They are present in every district and certainly around residential areas, areas where you find a lot of people, you're going to find little fire ants. There are very few pockets of places left that don't have little fire ants. There have been places that have been keeping it out, like the National Park that have been really working hard to inspect everything coming into the park, make sure that trucks, equipment are not bringing ants in, right? That's how they get moved. But you'd be hard-pressed in most residential areas to find a place that doesn't have little fire ants at this point. It's just little lucky pockets right now. Well, that's really disheartening. I mean, I remember doing something on the story where I think somebody was sitting on their sofa and they got stung. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, it's in people's homes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They are mostly outside ants, and so they'll spend most of their time in vegetation, but they're looking for water. Most people start to notice them in their houses when they show up in the bathroom, sometimes the kitchen, as they're coming in, you know, kind of on the water sources looking for water. And they will certainly move into a house when they take over they take over every square inch. They're not patchy, you know. Once they spread into an area, if they come into your backyard, if your house is in the way between the next backyard, they're just going to cover that area too and keep going. That's how they've evolved is to sort of take over large areas by having lots of little nests and forming a very large matrix. If you can think of it as a big web with a lot of little knots all throughout, the little knots are the queens and everything else they're just going to cover with uh, worker ants. No, you're really scaring me. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> well, it's I'm, Halloween. <laughs> I know, but I guess the reality of these invasive species, because you don't hear about it all the time, and yet mm-hmm. it's like that campaign that you folks wage, right? The silent mm-hmm. invasion. So, unfortunately, the Big Island was the first to get Koki Frog, and look at where we're at with that, you know, and now Little Red Fire Ant, and it's spreading to other islands. So that is pretty scary. It is. It's really scary. And I live here. I live in Puna, which is the first place where it was found. And certainly we deal with it. One of the nice things, you know, to to kind of take the edge off the fear, at least for those of us who are living on the Big Island, is that they are treatable, at least in your area. So if you're vigilant and you stay on top of it, you can make sure that your property is LFA free, right? You can control them in your environment. But widespread trying to take care of it is much more challenging. Well, I think on the Big Island, because you are the Big Island and you've got large swaths of forests, and if these things are up in a remote area, in trees or in areas where you can't beat it back, we were very encouraged you know, to hear the update from the Maui Committee to see that they're making some progress. We would love to beat it back down in those areas in Puna. Yeah, Puna is very unique in the state of Hawaii because throughout Puna you have a lot of agricultural lands overlapping with residential areas, overlapping with forests. 
right? Um, places like Oahu, that's a lot more defined between like where those areas are, and in Puna, they're all on top of each other. So that's where you get a lot of this movement. You know, a lot of our remote watershed areas on the Big Island are pretty high up in the mountains. Those remain fire ant free because there aren't a lot of people moving stuff into those areas. Where you really see the spread of fire ants is where a lot of humans are going and where a lot of human stuff is. So Puna is unfortunately more affected and the forests in Puna are more at risk because of that proximity with humans and human movement and human stuff. That's interesting. Okay, so we've got to mm-hmm. look at it with that lens. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's how they get moved around. And I think with Nahiku on Maui, was probably a lot related to the river, right? They can actually float. They can form little rafts on fresh water and even on salt water because we've had surfers over here who have been stung in the surf. So they're very adaptable and very good at working with the environment. So we do see even here, especially during the rainy season, is that they will move from areas, you know, if there's a residential area that's higher up on a slope, they will actually come down on water into people's yards that maybe had already cleared and got rid of their fire ants. And now they have, after the rains come, they'll have a new infestation of fire ants because you see this movement of the ants on water and with water. Okay, but I'm going to pause you here because I'm thinking, Surfers are getting stung in the ocean. Yeah. I mean, that's horrid. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not a pleasant experience for them at all. (laughs) They do not like it. But yes, they're able to float. One of the things that we tell people, you know, people trying to protect their pets, right, at home, they will find little fire ants going into their pet's food bowls. And we tell people you create a moat of water, but you have to make sure that water is soapy because you need to break the water tension. The ants are so small and so light that they can actually form a raft that floats on the water. So, yeah, very tricky little species. Okay, so what kind of a snapshot can you paint for us as to where the high infestations are there on the Big Island? Certainly throughout Puna and Hilo districts, we have high infestations. That North Hilo Hamakua coast, there's a lot of gulches, and because there's so much housing that's sort of on the edge of those gulches, a lot of those have now filled in with fire ants. So you will see a lot of those houses being affected along those coasts as well. Kau is probably the least affected, but we absolutely have them, certainly in areas of high population like Pahala and Na'alehu. You will definitely find little fire ants because, again, wherever you're finding people, that's where you're finding little fire ants. It's throughout the island. And then, okay, we've got a situation, too, where maybe these things are being moved around with nursery plants, right? So Big Island farmers send stuff off to Oahu or Kauai or Maui Mm -hmm. that, you know, they might hitchhike on there. Absolutely. Yeah, they're hitchhiker ants. That's exactly what they're called for a reason. They're very small and they're very hard to detect with the naked eye. A lot of times people get stung by them and say, oh, I couldn't even see it. I couldn't even see what was stinging me. Like, that's how small they are, right? So unless you're actively testing for them and putting a peanut butter stick in that potted plant to see if it comes up with ants, it's going to be really difficult for people to just spot it with the naked eye and say, oh, yeah, no, there's ants in that. So we've seen movement and not just on potted plants. We've seen movement off of the Big Island. You know, one of the first infestations on Maui was through roofing tiles, equipment, cars. They move around in cars. If a car's been sitting for a few weeks in high grass, you know, people go to the mainland, they come back. It could be inside the wheel wells. It could be inside the engine. Mechanics have reported working on cars and the fire ants are falling down on them from inside the engine. So, you know, they are, again, very adaptable and they can move in a lot of things. And so to only look at stuff like potted plants, would also be limiting in that you would not necessarily be spotting every potential place a nest could be. I know when I buy plants, I try and isolate my plants to make sure there are no hitchhikers, but I've got to kind of broaden my my fear zone. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> Definitely but. doing it right. Absolutely. We recommend people create a quarantine area for any plants or plant materials that are coming into their area. But we also, you know, we have an education program. We're working with community members and we try to get people to think about all the things that they're bringing onto their property. And, you know, beyond just little fire ants, there's seeds, you know, of invasive plants. There's all kinds of other things you could, you know, slugs that can carry rat lungworm. So think about where things are coming from. You know, when you're bringing something onto your property, maybe isolate it, maybe do a good inspection. Certainly with materials, we say, if you're buying a car that's been sitting for a while, Think about putting that car in a quarantine zone, right? You can use a commonly available 
a pesticide that you can buy at Target. You can create a quarantine area for yourself, and then you can use those peanut butter sticks to test whatever you're bringing in. Any potting material, any equipment, you can use the peanut butter sticks and give it a half an hour and say, okay, did something turn up on these peanut butter sticks? Give it another half hour and, okay, like at least I'm doing some kind of work to prevent, you know, as best I can, prevent those little pests from sneaking into my property. Right, because you can spot the ant, we can stop the ant. That's the hope. That's the hope. That was Franny Brewer giving us the snapshot of little fire ant infestations on the Big Island. If you have a colony to report, call 643-PEST or go to 643pest.org. Oahu officials have found their little fire ants in neighborhoods in Maunawili and Kaneohe, where infestations have been reported before. The Oahu Invasive Species Committee is actively working on 36 cases of the ants, dubbed one of the most destructive pests in the world. The newest cases are in areas where infestations had not been previously found, like a plant nursery in Waihole and on some 13 properties in Ka'elipulu on the windward side. Here's Martin. Ants have been around for hundreds of millions of years, and they've developed strategies to be able to survive. They can definitely survive when their homes are flooded, their colonies, and they raft together to protect the queen. The queen is the most important member of that colony. So the ants basically link legs and form a flotation raft and surround the queen. And in this little fire ant case, it's multiple queens. They surround them to protect the queen so that when the water Water recedes, or when they reach high ground, they can then transfer the queen to a new safe location. Okay, so if this raft then gets swept downstream, it continues on into the ocean, and in some cases, then people are seeing it if they're using the water to swim in or to surf in. Yeah, as is the case on Hawaii Island, where, you know, the main surf spot around Hilo, that forest right above it is infested with little fire ants. How long have we been hearing these cases? On Hawaii Island, at least for the past 15 years or so. Yeah, but I guess maybe it's the consciousness, right, of all of us statewide that it can survive for a time in the ocean. Absolutely, yeah. What kind of a snapshot can you give us for Oahu? Because we're so urban, you know, a lot of our detections are in neighborhoods, so one, two, three households. And right now, for the sites that we have that are active, and let me explain what active is, that means that little fire ants have been detected and confirmed. We've gone in, we, the greater we, the people who do the surveys, the Oahu Invasive Species Committee and the Hawaii Ant Lab, they go in, they survey, they find where the ants are find the edge of their population because, of course, we want to be able to treat the entire population. So the number of sites that have been surveyed and that are actively being treated for ants is just a little over 36 right now. So creeping up there, we've had a number of new detections this year where we haven't found the edge of the population. So that's that's concerning. We have very few staff on this island to be able to actually go out and do this work. So I recall doing a story a few years ago when John Morgan at Kualoa Ranch said, oh gosh, we got some in, we had some natives we brought over from the big island, and guess what? They hitchhiked. And he said they weren't near an area you know, that was frequented by visitors, but you know, it was a large area, and then there's a buffer zone, and so how do you tackle that? And it's encouraging to hear that Maui's making progress. So are there things that as we learn about how you can eradicate or beat back the populations, you know, can we use them here? Yeah. You know, shout out to John Morgan. You know, when he heard about it, he absolutely stepped up and tasked his staff with learning how to control these ants. And they've been really good. So they are still battling their infestation. It is in a much smaller footprint right now. They are using the methods that were developed by the Hawaii Ant Lab. You know, our 
our Department of Agriculture and Department of Land and Natural Resources didn't have any ant expertise. That's not something that's all that common. And these ants are really unique. Nowhere in the world are they trying to control or eradicate ants that nest in trees. Everybody's so used to thinking about ant nests being in the ground. So at Kuloa, they are following the program. I have to say there's other large property owners that are absolutely not. And so that is a challenge. How do you compel that to happen? For the smaller properties, we have enough staff, or we had until recently, to go out and actually do the treatments for the community. Because, you know, tutu, auntie, you know, uncle can't do it regularly. They can't do the type of work that we're asking. So really, this is a service to the community that they're providing. Well, I remember doing stories about how, okay, there were some landscapers, let's say in Kahala, where they were getting stung as they were doing their work for some of these large estates. You were hearing things about, okay, Lanikai, right? So folks that are maybe bringing in major landscape projects, right, are, are finding out, oh, guess what? They hitchhiked in. And then you have areas, I just was looking uh, recently on the windward side, right? Kaneohe, Waihole Waikane. So that's not good because these ants like wet spots. They look for water. They do prefer moist areas, but anybody who has a yard that they water even occasionally is at risk. So all you folks out in Eva thinking you're safe, you're not, you know, shout out to my peeps in Nanakuli. You're not safe either. Sorry. So everybody needs to be aware that this is a situation. And if you have any questions, you can very likely reach out to your family, your friends on Hawaii Island, who unfortunately are stuck with this ant. They have had to deal with it. And I guarantee you can find people that can tell you that we don't want these and we need to do everything we can to get rid of them. There are tools out there to figure out if you can detect them. And it's peanut butter on a chopstick, something simple like that. Yeah, I think the public's role in this is pretty clear and straightforward. You know, anytime you get new plant materials or anything that you import from an infested area, even if it's old couch from your auntie's property in Pune, whatever it is, put some ant bait on. And what I mean by that is put out a chopstick with some, you know, either peanut butter or real mayonnaise because it contains, you know, the fats and the sugars and the proteins that they like. So it just draws the ants out of hiding. And that way you can see if there's ants there. Then you put them in a zip top bag, freeze it and send it in for identification. So anytime you move things, that's one. But also we ask everybody during Stop the Ant Month, you know, here we are, October is a very spooky month. Be scared. Go out and collect ants in your yard and submit them because you may not have little fire ants, but your neighbor might have them and they may be coming over into your yard, foraging for food, and you may be able to detect them early. What more needs to be done? Because, you know, I go back to the distress of realizing that the first ones were detected 24 years ago. And gosh, is there more we could be doing? The public should know. Everybody should be aware that when you go and buy something from a nursery or, or, or wherever, they are not required to tell you that there's little fire ants in them. They're not required to treat for them. They're not required to make sure that they're selling you clean items. And honestly, some of them are not selling you clean items. So one of the things that people need to do is be aware of that and take proactive measures, yes. But the other is honestly a regulatory fix in that if the agencies don't have the rules that they need to be able to quarantine, stop the sale of an infested commodity, for example, a plant at a nursery before it is sold, if they don't have the authority, which they do not now, then we're always going to lose. They also don't have the authority to quarantine that commodity and require treatment so that it can then leave clean. Well, we've often heard from the Department of Ag, oh, well, we want cooperation. But at some point, do you say, well, you need to be punitive. If you do this, you're going to get fined big time. Yeah, I agree. We need both the carrot and the stick. We don't have any carrots yet other than, you know, being being the good, responsible business owner. But, you know, 99% of nurseries are trying their darndest. They are bending over backwards to make sure that they provide good products. There are those, though, that are not. 
And absolutely, we definitely need rules to be able to have another tool in the toolbox to be able to stop the spread. And is there anything, gosh, in all your work with invasive species that I don't know, is the most troubling, particularly with this species? When we look at species, little fire ants in particular, I feel a little bit more hope than I normally do because the treatment methods, we have tools to control it. We know how to do it. (laughs) We just need to be able to do it. So I think some of the things where I, I think we're more deficient in is the funding, the rules, the regulation to be able to back ourselves up and put us in a better position in the future. And honestly, public participation and support. You know, if we do decide that we want to keep as much of Hawaii, you know, protected as we can for future generations, we're going to need everybody to do it. You know, you can't have that one bad actor harboring infested properties and still have a protected neighborhood. You can't. When you think, you know, this affects our economy too, because whether it's hikers on a trail, now it's surfers in the surf, swimmers in the ocean that could get stung, it really puts it into sharp focus, I think, for some people. You know, can we do more? Yeah, I agree. And (laughs) every once in a while, I have these grand ideas of, oh, maybe we can send, you know, some really key people to an infested area. Maybe we can send them to areas that, you know, places in the world where they actually are very proactive and do a good job so that they don't get discouraged, but see that we need to do better and know that there are countries or states that are doing better. That was Christy Martin, who's with the Oahu Invasive Species Committee. Since our conversation with Martin, agricultural officials have sent letters to five plant nurseries, alerting them that infestations have been found in adjacent areas. The department wants access to treat and survey the area. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Board of Water Supply with a mission to provide fresh water to the people of Oahu, committed to conserving and protecting Oahu's water resources since 1929. Boardofwatersupply.com. HPR Generation Listen invites you to Trivia Night every first Monday of the month at Village Bottle Shop and Tasting Room in Kaka'ako. It's an opportunity to connect with fellow public radio nerds in an evening of lively but friendly competition. Gen Listen connects younger listeners and young at heart listeners with the station and with each other. Connect with us in person at HPR Gen Listen Trivia. Sign up to play at hawaiipublicradio.org slash genlisten. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Let's continue our Hanaho show on the little fire ant. The destructive ant was first discovered on the Garden Isle in 1999. We check in with Halen Chalk, who's with the Kauai Invasive Species Committee, about where the cases are popping up. The first detection for Hawaii Island was also the same year for the first detection for Kauai. What's interesting is you got to hear from Franny Brewer, Big Island Invasive Species Committee, and the difference between how little fire ant has exploded there versus here from our first detection has a lot to do with how it got here and where it landed. So the first detection of little fire ant on Kauai was in 1999. And the main difference is that it was found on a private residence and it was imported to a private residence. So we were able to contain it on that one property and it wasn't being dispersed to many other properties versus coming into the horticulture industry and accidentally being dispersed that way. That's why we really work with the nursery and landscaping trade here to educate partners and give them the best management practices to minimize the chances of them importing and accidentally spreading it. Just because there is so much movement of plant materials, different kinds of ornamental plants coming in every day. 
So it is interesting to see how each island is dealing with the invasion of little fire ants and the circumstances of how it can either, you know, unfortunately explode like on Hawaii Island and completely affect everyone's way of life. Or we get lucky like here on Kauai and we've been able to pretty much contain it to one site with our first infestation. And only in recent years, we've been really seeing an uptick in new populations. So where have you found it? In recent years, pretty much since 2019 till about now, we now have six populations of little fire ant here on Kauai. Some of them, we've been treating them and they seem to be unmanageable levels. And then we have some other more challenging terrain that we're dealing with here. So right now, we are dealing with Moloa is located on the east side of Kauai. And what's interesting about the Moloa infestation is that it was actually in the center of an agriculture part of the island. Luckily, Moloa is a flat and open area. So when we first got the call and detected it there, we were able to get information out to the community. The community there is very on board with treatment and containing it because little fire ant can have a huge impact on agriculture. There's a lot of organic farms there, and the last thing we want is for our organic farmers and local farmers to be hindered with little fire ant. As you know, little fire ant are great hitchhikers. They're able to hide on trucks and even fit an entire satellite colony into the size of a macadamia nutshell. So if little fire ant were to get into a large farm, the chances of it being transported through pineapples, bananas would be very likely. Luckily, the community there is very supportive of the work of KISC and they hold their neighbors accountable because it needs to be a group effort. If it goes to another property and that property doesn't want to participate, then, you know, we just have to hope that it doesn't spread further. But luckily, everybody from the surrounding infestation has been super cooperative and supportive with us. Well, as I go through the website and I look island by island to see, you know, what are the active areas and then you get a little more detail, you know, how many properties, you know, what's the acreage, you know, three, three acres, five acres or larger. There have been cases where you've had detections over the years and you've successfully eradicated them. Yes. Yeah. Again, this is a lot to do with our Kauai community being so vigilant. We round year have little fire ant test kits available at our public libraries. So we, throughout the year, urge people to take home a kit, do it with the family, and, you know, send in our samples. And sometimes it does come back positive. And because our community is so vigilant and willing to support us, they have really taken it upon themselves to send in samples and to be on top of things. The work of KISC is really a community effort, and we really appreciate that. I saw on the website that if there are property owners who have large parcels, that you have kits that are somehow designed for larger areas, larger tracks versus just backyard or home garden? Yeah, so we created larger versions of our home test kits. The smaller collection kits that we push for in the month of October contain about four to five chopsticks or stir sticks with an envelope. That's perfect for a small yard or even just putting it through your potted plants. So our biggest concern during the Moloa'a infestation was that it was going to accidentally hop to different farms. As many farmers go to farmer's market, you know, that would be a perfect hub for little fire ant to jump ship or to accidentally, you know, go from a bunch of bananas, accidentally get set down on another table, and then boom, it goes to another place. So we really focus on outreach to local farmers all across the island, not just on that side of the island. So we have offered and still offering larger kits and also training for the farmers to help their staff be able to survey their fields. So it just comes with more sticks, peanut butter, and instructions so that they're able to at least do the initial survey and put it in places where they think little fire ant might hide. That way they're able to get us samples in mass amounts. Another push that we did, we worked with Malama Kauai to put in a little fire ant collection kit with all of their CSAs to get the information to families who are supporting local farmers to even test their plants or test different produce that they pick up from different places. We really want to drive home the concept of collecting and looking for little fire ants annually or even more than annually throughout the year so we can equip our community to know what to look for and also how to collect ants. 
Is there anything else that you can share? You said this one area where it was first found, Moloa'a. So the thing about Moloa'a is it's right between Anaholma and Kilauea, which is more of like the wet side of the island. I think it would be considered in the Ko'olau uh, moku of the island, which mm-hmm. is known to be typically more wet. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that Moloa'a is the place where it was found a little more coastal. So it does get a good amount of sun, but also rain. How many active cases do you have now and how many were found this year? So there are six cases of little fire ant, six populations of little fire ant on Kauai right now. We found one this year in the Koloa Omao area, which is actually our largest right now. And that one also is near an agricultural area. And that place, Koloa Omao, is a part of the island that little fire ant can really thrive in. I mean, most of Kauai is, besides the far west side. And this one is actually 52.15 acres. And this is the largest detection we've found so far. Right now, we're still doing deliminating surveys to see how, really how far, but that's the estimated. It's definitely south. So we're still doing our surveying and response planning for that. Anything else that you think would be important to underscore? The next population we have, which has been the most challenging for KISK, is the one located in Wailua. Wailua is a very wet, very rainy, very tropical, rainforesty area of the island, which little fire ant love to be in. It also has lots of trees, and this includes invasive trees like albizia, and it also has thick river valley foliage like halbush. So this one is the most challenging for us because it's so far back into the Wailua River Valley that it's in such thick brush, we have a really hard time even getting people in there. Our biggest concern with this infestation is that little fire ants do something called rafting and The same thing that they do when surfers get bit is we're concerned that these little fire ants during the rainy season will then get washed down into other parts of the valley that we're not sure of. And then they start their own satellite colonies. And from there, it will be difficult, you know, to survey that much land, especially through that thick brush. That was Halen Chalk, who's with the Kauai Invasive Species Committee. Hawaii residents are encouraged to collect and submit ants from their properties to help detect and control the spread of little fire ants and other harmful pests that may be new to the state. Find links to more information on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org later today. On guard, so far, Moloka'i has been able to keep out a number of invasive species, whether it be little fire ants, coconut rhinoceros beetles, or koki frogs. We checked in with the Moloka'i Maui Invasive Species Committee about the need to stay vigilant. The committee's Lori Buchanan spoke with us about its success in keeping the critters from getting a foothold on the friendly isle. We do underground type of grassroots outreach to people. I believe people of Molokai are very cognizant of invasive species, not just fire ants, but all of them. And most recently, there's coconut rhinoceros beetle that has been in the news a lot. Our community is really vigilant. They're very well informed as a community would go. And I don't think moments would be as successful if we didn't have tips from the public. And simply people being responsible of not transporting invasive species, knowing the pathways. And so we depend on our community a lot because all of the invasive species committees are really based on a relationship. And because we don't have any enforcement capabilities such as the Department of Ag, So we really, really depend on the relationships we have with our community to be the eyes and ears for us. And then on the ground doing the diligence of actually baiting, trapping and looking for it. So you're really on your own and you just have to educate people, be on guard. That's true. 
and give them the opportunity to report them to us and for us to follow up on reports. Also to keep our ears to the ground because Molokai is a small community. It's hard for you to not know what's going on if somebody's doing a project, for instance, where they might be bringing in landscape material. Also to conduct outreach to the stores or the organizations that would be shipping in stuff like we saw recently with the CRB soil, topsoil, and other products like plants, landscaping plants, everything that could be a vector because we know that people are the main vectors for transporting invasive species between the islands. So whether it's compost or anything else, I mean, you're really trying to be proactive not reactive. Yeah, we're trying to be proactive. And I think especially since COVID, because, you know, during COVID, we couldn't go door to door. You couldn't really react with the public, which we're so used to doing, being really engaged with the public, but also having to still do your job because shipping doesn't stop. You know, planes don't stop and boats don't stop. So it was difficult. And so coming out of COVID, reestablishing those ties to try and still have communication with your community in whatever capacity. We've been really trying to work hard on that. Most recently, because of the CRB, we always assume that it's going to get here. For us, it's catching it as soon as we can. Because it's incipient species, we all know that prevention is the most cost-effective way of preventing invasive species because once they become established and start to naturalize, it's nearly impossible to eradicate. And so that's why a lot of our focus is on prevention. Well, it's Encouraging, you know, to know that Maui is making progress there in Nohiku and also to learn that Lanai had some cases of fire ants and uh, they were able to eradicate it there as well. You know, and I don't know what the situation is in Koholawe or, or Ni'ihau, but the fact that you folks have just been able to keep the ants out is positive. Yes. And again, it's really, I think the credit goes to our community being informed and vigilant about not wanting to see the resources here affected more than it is by invasive species. You know, as an organization, we know how costly and time-consuming it is to start to treat targets. But again, it's the community that chooses not to bring that plant with soil or chooses to really wash their car very good if they're going to put it on Young Brothers. Or even what we find on a regular basis is somebody has to bring some something over for some reason, maybe some egg crop or shipping goods from Hilo where they know there's an infest problem. They'll give us the heads up and I'll actually go, we'll go, or staff will go to the Young Brothers Port and try to do an on-site inspection to just add another layer of oversight. But we can't do that if the public doesn't call us and give us the heads up. So the fact that they feel comfortable enough to call us and know that they're not going to be ostracized or scrutinized, but really thankful for the maka'ala, you know, because they really do care. Community really does care about our resources. You know, you talk about the Young Brothers. I mean, I remember, you know, that whole flap about the super fairy and the concern about invasive species, you know, coming over in somebody's wheel well on the car or the truck, you know, or whether it's on construction material, you know, the solar panels, that kind of thing. You just don't want those hitchhikers. Yes. And we have had hitchhiking in the past on Molokai with Koki Frog. And we were able to nip it in the bud. That was not very recent. It was um, before COVID. But, you know, for instances, was um, koki frog and leaf litter in the bed of a truck shipped from Hawaii Island or roofing material from a big box store or, you know, in plant material. So... The businesses here on Molokai that actually have to ship goods are aware of um, they're aware of the possible impacts from hitchhikers, and so if they even have a a thought that they might 
be importing stuff, they'll come and ask us to do a check. And I really appreciate that. And I and we really make it known that we really appreciate that oversight. Most of the times it's negative, but I think maybe about four times we've caught frogs that way. Wow. Coming over in, yeah, in goods. And so we always look at the point of origin of where the goods are shipped. But, you know, it's so difficult, um, Catherine, to track. And that's how come the last line of defense is actually Molokai and the ports of entry, you know, either by air or sea, but people. Yeah, it's educating people again. Well, what other critters have you managed to uh, detect and keep out? (laughs) Well, we mostly deal with plants, but... We're the only invasive species committee to target a marine species, not for eradication, but for control, primarily because of the area in which we detected it, which is the main wharf on Molokai. But it also was designated as a swimming area. So children would swim in the designated area. And we found actually a parrot brought it into us, um, upside down mangrove jellyfish. And so it was helpful to the community for us to start to control it. And we did find that it was successful. And even though you might find it in other areas on Molokai, in a fish pond, maybe in East Molokai, they're not stinging people at the Molokai Wharf anymore. And once we got control of the primary infest site, you know, you have to check farther a few times. And so it's not so heavy a lift to keep that area free for our children to swim in because Molokai has only one public pool. And sometimes it has to shut down indefinitely for long periods of time for maintenance. And so the wharf is really heavily used by our community. That was Lori Buchanan from the Molokai Maui Invasive Species Committee talking about the efforts of the community to keep the little fire ant out of the friendly isle. that does it for today's showcase of our little fire ant series do you have a story to share call our talkback line at 808-792-8217 or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org want to listen back to something you heard find the conversation on spotify apple or anywhere else you tune in for podcasts our program is produced by russell subiono lillian song stephanie Hahn, and mark ladow The Backyard Quiz theme was written for us by John DeMello and our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.